Good morning. It is a privilege this morning for me to bring the message to you. For those who don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Emily. I serve as pastor of children and their families here at Calvary. So typically on Sunday mornings, I exit with the kids when they leave, and then I'm back with them. Um, teaching and leading them for the remainder of the service. So it is a privilege this morning for me to be bringing the word to you. Um, as you heard earlier, Pastor Dustin and Pastor Carrie are both away at General Assembly this week. So be in prayer for them, for our church, as thousands are gathered from around the world, um, worshiping together and also taking care of the business of our denomination. If you were here last week, Pastor Dustin shared with us the last narrative of the disciples with Jesus before he returned to heaven. And he shared with us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Those are familiar words, aren't they? Those were Jesus' last words to his disciples before returning to heaven, and they were significant words for his disciples. They're significant words for us today as well. So here was Jesus declaring that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. And now his disciples were to go and continue to make disciples, to carry on Jesus' work and the mission of Jesus. And this call is for us also to be disciple makers. We're to go and make disciples. But what does this mean? What does it mean to be the people of God who are grounded in the ways of Jesus? Well, we've been following the lectionary, and this week the lectionary directs us back further into Matthew looking into the life and the ministry of Jesus, uncovering what was Jesus all about? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be the gathered body, the church, the community of Jesus Christ? If we're following the one who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So this morning, if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, that's where we'll be this morning looking at the life of Jesus. We're going to be starting with the call of Matthew this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab your phone. You likely have a Bible app on there. Turn to Matthew 9, um, or I believe there are some Bibles in the back if you'd like to grab a physical Bible to use this morning. But we're turning to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to be starting with verse 9. And while you're turning there... We're rolling into summer, right? It's almost mid-June. I can hardly believe it. And it seems like every time a new season rolls around, I'm evaluating whether or not my kids' clothes are going to fit. Does that resonate with any of you, like kids that are constantly growing and changing, right? So for those of you who don't know, I have three kids. They're 11, 9, and 8, and they just don't stop growing. It's constant, right? And not only physically, but they change in a variety of other ways as well. And it's a joy to watch them grow and change, but sometimes it's uncomfortable too, right? Both for them 
and for us as parents. Well, I remember as a child having a very favorite pair of pants. Now, this was the early 80s, and this particular pair of pants were a lovely cotton slacks that had a plaid kind of pastel design on them. Think like Easter egg pastel colors, perfect for any occasion, right? But they were my favorite. And there came a time, inevitably, when I no longer fit into those pants. They were too short, they were too tight. No matter how hard I tried to get them on, they just didn't fit. I'd grown, my body had changed. And I could pull and I could tug on those pants, but they were no longer going to work for me. They no longer fit. Likely you've been in a similar kind of situation. I needed something new, something better, something that was going to fit the growing and changing me. And our passage today reminds me somehow of those pants, of growing and changing seasons where something has shifted, where something that was once comfortable or something that worked well or it fit just right, it just no longer does because a change has happened. And this was evident in the life and the ministry of Jesus through the ways that he lived and he acted, the things that he taught, the things that he said, as he ushered in the kingdom of God. And he demonstrated that things were changing. The kingdom of God was here. And Jesus was showing a new way of living, a new way of being. Things had taken a shift. So there are three distinct yet connected stories to which the lectionary points us today here in Matthew chapter 9. First is the calling of Matthew. Of course, one of the disciples of Jesus. We presume, presume that this is the disciple that wrote the book of Matthew. And he tells about his calling and then goes on to tell about two healing miracles of Jesus. And if we look prior to chapter 9, there are also a number of healing miracles leading up to this moment. So this calling of Matthew is kind of sandwiched in between all of these healing miracles of Jesus. But that's where we're going to pick up today with the calling of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So let's pause there for just a moment and kind of unpack this calling that we've heard about Matthew. Well, first in this passage, we see Jesus taking the initiative. As we always do with the calling of Jesus' disciples, if we look back further in Matthew, we hear about the calling of Jesus' first disciples, they were fishermen, and he called, follow me. And of course they did. They were just ordinary men doing their thing when Jesus called them. But this calling of Matthew is distinct. 
because Matthew is a tax collector. So it's important for us to understand the role of a tax collector. This is different than how we might perceive a tax collector today, someone who's just gathering taxes for the government. It's very different because in the Roman world at this time, tax collectors were despised. They were really known to be cheaters. Often they would skim off of the top and keep back some of the money for themselves. They would overcharge. And of course, they were working for the Roman government, who was extremely oppressive. So tax collectors were like on the edge of society. Many were even hated. So here's Matthew, a tax collector. He's sitting at his tax collector booth, and he's an outcast even among his own people. And while the text doesn't really tell us how Matthew felt about being a tax collector, it does say that Jesus sees Matthew. And if we look at chapter, or verse 9 here, it reads, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Jesus doesn't just see Matthew, but he calls Matthew. He says, follow me. And of course, Matthew does. And this is extraordinary in and of itself because Matthew is a tax collector. And Jesus is inviting Matthew in. Matthew doesn't belong with Jesus, right? He's on the outskirts. He doesn't fit in. But here is Jesus inviting Matthew into a position of belonging, of intimacy, into community. He says, follow me. And instantly, Matthew's life is changed. He's no longer Matthew the tax collector, but he's Matthew the follower of Jesus, one of Jesus' close disciples in the inner circle here. He's changed. And verse 9 tells us that Matthew got up. We could also word that Matthew arose that sounds like resurrection language to me. He got up. He arose. Matthew was offered new life in and through Jesus. But we also see Matthew doesn't go off and just abandon his friends, those who are called tax collectors and sinners, just like himself. Now, these friends of Matthew's would have been considered unfavored company. And yet we see here that Jesus and his disciples came and they had dinner with Matthew and his friends with these other outcasts. And I have to imagine, again, even though the text doesn't say it, that Jesus sees them too. That they are also invited into belonging and new life here with Jesus. So we might be thinking, so Jesus had dinner with some tax collectors and sinners, right? Well, so what? Well, we have to understand what a radical act this really was for Jesus and his followers. Because this crowd gathered at Matthew's house wouldn't have been following the rules of Jewish purity, ritual cleanliness. Perhaps we might even label this crowd as being unsavory kinds of characters. Their choices, their lifestyles were questionable. So here, it's not surprising that the Pharisees, those religious leaders who followed the letter of the law, it's not surprising that they question, what is Jesus doing here? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
this is unheard of. It's inappropriate. It's unacceptable for Jesus to be doing this. Sitting with these people would have made Jesus ritually unclean. What is Jesus doing? So the response of the Pharisees and their judgment isn't surprising, but Jesus' response is. Because Jesus answers in verse 12, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Here, Jesus is quoting from Hosea, an Old Testament scripture, with the, which the Pharisees should have been very familiar with. And he says, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In the message version, Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 13 to read, I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Outsiders versus insiders. Tax collectors, sinners versus those who are already following God's law. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, the kingdom of heaven has come. Things have changed. No longer are the outsiders on the outside, but they are invited to the inside here, to the table. And Jesus is demonstrating something radically new. He's redefining here what it means to be the people of God, what it means to be holy, to be made into a reflection of God, to be like Jesus. The old pants, they no longer fit because Jesus is showing a new way. He's saying there's no need to stay away any longer, to remain separated from those who might be considered unclean or undesirable because through Jesus there is healing and restoration. Jesus is redefining holiness found not only in the old ways of the ritual cleanliness and the following of the law, but now through Jesus himself. Jesus is demonstrating a new way. Author Kent Brower writes, for Jesus, holiness or Christ-likeness is contagious, outgoing, embracing, and joyous. It brings transformation and reconciliation. Jesus is bringing healing and restoration here, a new way. Jesus is bringing new life. And Jesus is showing here a way that is inclusive of all people who desire God, not just those who are following the rules. And Jesus saw himself not only as a participant in this meal, as a friend of these tax collectors and these sinners, but he also saw himself as their physician, as their healer, inviting them into a new way of being through his mercy and his compassion. He's saying all are invited into this new life, not just those who appear to have it all together. And this brings us to the part of our story where followers of John the Baptist ask, Jesus about fasting. Again, they're pointing to rules and expectations. So here again in chapter 9, picking up in verse 14, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, 
but your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So here, Jesus is contrasting the old with the new. He's describing this new way of holiness, this new way of living into the ways of God. Instead of public fasting and rule following, the focus is shifting off of self onto Jesus. And he's not telling them not to fast, but he's saying because Jesus has come, things are new now for the people of God. He's saying now is a time for rejoicing instead of sorrow. Really, rejoicing and sorrow don't really mix, right? Just like an old patch doesn't fit onto new cloth or new wine can't be poured into an old wineskin, these are all contradictions. New and old, they don't mix. And yet Jesus hasn't come to destroy the law, but he's come to fulfill the law, to usher in the new. And he's showing how this old religious system isn't compatible with the new ways of Jesus. N.T. Wright puts it like this. Morning has broken on a new day, God's new day. And the practices that were appropriate for the nighttime are now no longer needed. Jesus brings new life. It's a new day. Which brings us to the healing part of our text today, where once again, Jesus is stepping into this new life and this mercy that he's talking about. So picking up here in verse 18, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But the people laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. Are you seeing the connections here in this passage today? There's this continual vision, visual of clean versus unclean, of new versus old. And we see Jesus once again stepping into what would have been considered unclean here, a bleeding woman, a dead body. These women would, would have been considered ritually unclean for others to touch. But of course, as we've already heard, Jesus isn't concerned with that, right? 
Jesus is bringing a new way, a new order. And Jesus isn't afraid of the unclean or the unworthy or the impure because he is the physician. He is the healer. He is the bringer of new life. And uncleanness somehow doesn't seem to infect him, but rather he somehow infects them with himself. Jesus, the bringer of new life, the bringer of compassion, here totally changed his agenda. He shifted his plan here to go and help this man and his daughter, and then in doing so, he's interrupted again through this woman who has suffered for 12 years. And did you catch here what happened in verse 22? It reads, Jesus turned and saw her. Just like we heard with Matthew, Jesus saw through the physical ailment, through the suffering, through the marginalization, and he provided restoration. He provided healing. And the woman was not only physically healed, but through her healing, she was also restored to her community. She was no longer considered to be unclean or untouchable. But Jesus calls her daughter. Jesus brings new life. Jesus brings a new kind of social order where the unclean are clean, the outcasts are included. Those who have faith are seen and are made whole. And this was part of the new order, the kingdom of God, through which God was restoring all of his creation through Jesus. And here at the conclusion of this passage, we see the greatest destroyer of all, death. Beyond marginalization, mistreatment, sickness, uncleanness, death is ultimate destruction. And this father knows this, and he comes and sees Jesus because Jesus brings new life. We've already seen it, and the father somehow has faith that Jesus can somehow help, that through Jesus, death never has the final say. So once again, we see Jesus here risking making himself unclean, and he touches the girl, this body that has been declared dead. And again, instead of being infected by death, his life somehow miraculously infects her through his healing touch. Verse 25 reads, she got up. Just like we heard with Matthew, she arose. She got up, another hint at resurrection, pointing forward to Jesus' ultimate victory over death through his own resurrection, new life. So there is a new paradigm that pervades through this whole passage here with these separate yet connected narratives, starting with Matthew with his call, and then moving on to the meal with Matthew's friends, Jesus' response regarding fasting and these healings. There is something new happening here. Jesus is doing things that were once deemed unacceptable according to the old order as a means of ushering in the new. And it's happening right in front of the eyes of people who didn't always see and understand. 
But Matthew saw it. The sick woman experienced it. And the dead girl lived it with her family as witnesses. A new way of life. So we see here that in the kingdom of God, through Jesus, the left out are included. The sinners are welcome. The unclean are made clean. The sick are made whole and death results in victory. Jesus brings mercy and dignity and value to these three individuals. And he does the same for us. The old pants, the old way of doing things no longer fit because Jesus is here. So there's no room for judgment, oppression, exclusion, marginalization, because growth is happening here. A new order, a new way is being ushered in by Jesus as he brings new life, love, restoration, wholeness, healing, and inclusion all received through faith. So friends, how do you fit into this narrative today? Do you see yourself here in this story? Where is Jesus inviting you to new life? Could there be an old way, an old paradigm, maybe an old habit that it's time for you to leave behind as you live into the new ways of Jesus? And as we heard today, just with those in our story, Jesus sees you. Just as he saw Matthew, he saw the sick woman, he saw the dead girl. And in his mercy and his compassion, Jesus is calling you. He's saying, son, daughter, get up, be whole and follow me. Jesus invites each of us into this new life that he offers. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you need to hear, Jesus sees you. And he is offering healing and wholeness and forgiveness, new life. But Jesus doesn't want us to keep all of this for ourselves. Jesus is calling us to be bringers of his new life. How might he be calling you both individually and within this body of believers, because we're not in this alone, right? Church, where is Jesus inviting us as a community, as a church? What old ways might he be calling us to leave behind in order to live into his resurrection and into his new life, not only for us, but for all people, even those that we might see as other or maybe unsavory or unclean? Are there some old pants that we have outgrown because Jesus is bringing transformation and a new way? And Jesus has brought us new life, and he's calling us to share it. Last week, Pastor Dustin challenged us to read the words of Jesus this summer throughout the Gospels, to dig deep into the life of Jesus to find out what, what it means to be a disciple. What does it mean when Jesus says, follow me? 
like we heard him say to Matthew in our text today. And I think we've seen today the ways of Jesus are often radically different from what culture tells us is important or significant or even true. Today we heard that the ways of Jesus are contagious. They're outgoing, embracing, and joyous. The ways of Jesus bring transformation and reconciliation. Does this description sound appealing to you? Because I know it does to me. It's describing new life in and through Jesus. Jesus is inviting you into new life today. He is inviting us into new life. So will we individually and collectively take his hand and rise up and follow him in faith and join him in his kingdom work, in his kingdom ways, as agents of his restoration and his new life? Are we listening to where he is leading? Let's close in prayer together this morning. Gracious God, you are the giver of new life. It is only through you that healing and wholeness and restoration are found. God, without you, we remain stuck. Show us today where you desire to do a new work in us as you draw us deeper into your healing grace. Give us eyes that we might see others as you do, as loved and valued. God, we, may we be channels of your mercy and grace, agents of your transformation of the new life that is found only in you. God, give us courage to let go of the old, the things that no longer fit, the things that might just be comfortable. Help us to embrace the new. God, we give thanks to you for your mercy and your grace. Amen.